How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. All God's people said. How do you pray in the winter time of life? Not all seasons, not all times are summertime. Do you disengage? Should you disengage from God in prayer? Or should you continue to pray through the pain and through the suffering? Lament is a way to pray in the winter time of life. German theologian in her provocative little book simply entitled Suffering writes this. She says the first step towards overcoming suffering is... How would you finish a sentence? What comes next to you and I has to be important. What could possibly be the first step towards overcoming suffering? In our day and age, people might say things like this. Well, the first step towards overcoming suffering is to have a positive attitude. The first step towards overcoming suffering is count your blessings. You probably have more blessings then you realize, in other words, your suffering can't be that bad. And what the sufferer would hear you say at precisely this moment is this, I want to minimize your suffering. Things are really not that bad. Is that what you want to say? If you're more theological, you might say, well, the first step towards overcoming suffering is, well, realize that you live in a broken and a sinful world. What did you expect? And there's some truth to that, but in these moments of pain, we cry out for resolution because we realize deep in our souls that this is not the way it was supposed to be. And so this German theologian, she writes, the first step towards overcoming suffering is to find a language that leads us out of the uncomprehended suffering that makes one mute. You see, suffering and pain can shut us down, shut us down relationally, shut us down spiritually and emotionally and physically, even shut us down linguistically. We don't know what to say when confronted by injustice, with suffering, with pain, both in our worlds and also in our hearts and in our lives. And so lament is the language of pain. Lament is the prayer language in the winter seasons of our life when we continue ever, even though it's so hard to continue the conversation with God in prayer. Lament was the language of Hannah. 
in the Old Testament who wept bitterly as she prayed to God for a child. She wept so bitterly that the priest Eli thought that she was drunk before the altar. She said, no, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Lament was the language of our brother Job. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. In Job chapter 3, Job famously curses the day of his birth. He despairs of even life itself. But get this, he still laments about his life to the God of life. In prayer, he despairs of life to the God of life. This is the prayer of lament. Lament was the language of the prophet Jeremiah. He said, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Jeremiah penned a whole book of prayers of lament called Lamentations. So if you're wondering if this is a prayer language sanctioned by God, laments get their whole book. Jeremiah's life was characterized by little joy, little happiness. So much so that he's often called the weeping prophet. But his tears never disqualified him from prayer. His tears never disqualified him from leaning into his calling. He said this, Lamentations, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He is a bear referring to God. He, God, is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. Get the next image. He, God, bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. In other words, God is the hunter and I am the prey. Life is not fair. This is how I feel. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Jeremiah knew how to lament. and Therefore, he knew how to pray. And as a prophet, he spoke the very words of God. Think about that. Finally, lament is the language of the prayer book of Jesus, the Psalms. These would have been psalms that Jesus, as a Jewish boy, would have prayed at the synagogue. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 42. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Finally, the most famous psalm, Psalm 22, that Jesus prayed while hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to ask about four questions about the prayer of lament. We're in a series of prayer. If we do not know how to lament, we might disengage during the winter of our lives during suffering and pain. So what is lament? I love what one author says. He says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is complaining, but when the complaint is addressed 
and directed towards God. Lament is a prayer in pain that resolves and circles back to trust. Second question, what are the characteristics of lament? These lament psalms are shocking. All etiquette is cast aside. Some may find laments offensive, especially if you aren't the one suffering. Can you imagine? You're at a little Bible study and uh, you've had a good time together. You've broken bread and then you say, Rob, uh, I wonder if you can close us in prayer. Imagine if Rob closed your group in prayer, praying like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Amen. And you as a good life group leader, you'd probably say, Rob, what, what, what's going on? Rob might say, I'm just quoting scripture. You've never read Psalm 13. Laments are shockingly honest as they pray their way through pain. Were you shocked this morning by the rawness? Holly, Misha as a school teacher in Vieira, Pastor Steve, Tom, as they lamented communally the things that we struggle with in our world? What are the characteristics of lament? Lament prayers explore the gap that exists between the promises of God and the sufferings of life. Walter Brueggemann, great Old Testament scholar, says that laments are complaints brought before God with basically four tenets in mind. Number one, things are not right in the present arrangement. They need not stay this way, but can be changed. The lamenter will not accept them this way, for it is intolerable. And finally, it is God's obligation to change things. You see, Stoics who stuff down their emotions, who deny the sufferings of life, they do not make good prayers. Prayers of lament do not stoically accept the sufferings of life. Neither are the promises of God simply forgotten or disregarded as if they don't matter. As if God is not faithful to His promises. And so in lamenting prayer, you risk calling God to the mat by reminding Him of His promises. You are a God of the covenant. Here are your promises. Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Lord, I'm not feeling so blessed. I'm not feeling like You are my refuge. And here's all the reasons why. Psalm 5, for surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. But here I am, Lord. Where is your shield? I need your protection. So what is God calling us to do during these seasons? God, in a sense, wants us to engage him in prayer. When all our circumstances seem only to dictate despair and complaint, God is a good father who doesn't run away from hard questions. Do you think God is big enough to withstand your laments, to withstand your doubts, to withstand your questions as you come before him in prayer? He surely is. When the promises of God collide with the pain and suffering of your life, you don't 
zip it up. You don't go silent. You don't say, well, I guess I'm not going to maintain radio contact with God now. No, you go to God with a prayer of lament. Second characteristic, lament prayers emphasizes an awareness of the hiddenness, which is really the freedom of God to be God. And we see it in Psalm 13 that we've read today. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But this is hardly the only psalm in the Psalter that laments the hiddenness of God. Yes, our God is one who reveals himself, but our God is a God who also hides his face. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Isaiah, truly you are God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Job also asked, why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? God even said to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. In other words, just even when. God was revealing his person, his being, his character, his purposes to Moses. He still remains hidden to Moses. Does God, does Moses see God's face? No, he sees a burning bush. That's God's hiddenness. He sees the backside of God. That's God's hiddenness. The freedom of God to be God. His ways are higher than our ways. We cannot understand all of his ways and so when we, we face this fact, when we face this truth, it hurts. Lament prayers take seriously that it hurts our souls, our lives, our world. That God is not yet fully revealed. That we do not understand His plan, especially when it comes to our suffering. So in lament, we acknowledge the pain of the hiddenness of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, be revealed in my life, in our world, in this situation. There is pain, there's suffering, there's hurt. When you are not present, it hurts. It seems like you've hidden your face from me. Third characteristic. Lament prayers engage in the piety of protest for justice. Laments are zealous prayers for the reign of God. Rosa Parks, who lit a match for the civil rights movement, engages in a piety of protest. This is not right. I'm not going to sit any longer at the back of the bus. It's a prayer for justice. The prayer of lament teaches us something that we need desperately to hear. That there's not an antithesis between deep-seated piety and rebellious protest. Between the call to prayer and the call to justice. Lament brings prayer and justice together right at the throne room of God. There is a drama written by Jewish Holocaust survival Elie Wiesel called The Trial of God. The drama takes place in the midst of a massacre of Jews hiding in Shamgarod, Poland in 1649. A group of Jews, according to the drama, is hiding in the village, 
hiding in fear because of this massacre. And they decide to hold a trial for God for allowing these events to occur. And a man named Barish acts as the prosecuting attorney against God. And at first, no one wants to be the defense attorney for God. The atrocities are just too great. And so finally, a stranger appears on the scene named Sam. Very un-Jewish name. And takes up the role of the defense attorney. Sam begins by defending God. And calling upon the Jews of this village to submit to God, even in the face of gross injustice. Endure, accept, and say amen. Endure, accept, and say amen. This is the message of Sam. Would you say amen? Not if you knew how to pray the prayer of lament. And so in the drama, many of the Jews begin to accept and are quietly carried along by Sam's arguments. But Barish, the prosecuting attorney, refuses to submit. I'll use my last energy to make my protest known, he says. At the end of the drama, how does it end? Sam is revealed as a devilish figure. In other words, these Jews should have protested. They should have rebelled piously against the status Because that rebellion, that protest in prayer would have been a show of piety. Lament prayers are zealous for the reign of God. Lament prayers are prayers of protest for the justice of God. And this is what we've done today. Lamenting our nation's school shootings. Misha that works at Vera High School. That children... Our children go to school with a book in one hand and a gun in the other to shoot up the school. This we lament. Joey, my friend in California, has 11-year-old son, Dominic. He, Dominic, is what they call a barricader. That is, he has been instructed that if a school shooting comes, you are to turn over the desks. You are to be a barricader in case this happens in our school. We lament. We've lamented our country's long struggle with racism. If we fail to lament, we minimize the struggle. We minimize the discrimination. If we're called to be people of justice, and all the prophets and Jesus suggest that we are, then we're equally called to be people who lament. Because lament moves us with God to act in a way that reflects His reign and restores His justice. Third characteristic of lament. Well, that was the third. Third question. Why? Why do we lament? Isn't it easier just to shut down communication with God during the hard times, during during the winter times of our lives? Walter Brueggemann, again, has moved the conversation forward. He has a great article called The Costly Loss of Lament. In other words, if we fail to lament, we, what have we lost? If we fail to lament, we fail to love. Simple as that. When we were in Africa, there was a season 
when I used to go to the hospital, the general hospital in the city of Bata. Now, this is one of the poorest hospitals in the world. And on the sixth pavilion, there was where they cared for people dying of HIV AIDS. At this time, the hospital didn't even provide food for these patients, for anybody in the hospital. And so I was a part of a little group. We brought food. We we prayed. We formed friendship with those that were suffering from HIV AIDS. And I'll never forget, there was a 17-year-old young man, couldn't have been more than 17 years old, dying alone in the hospital. His family had disowned him. His family were was ashamed and fearful of HIV AIDS. They wouldn't even visit him there in the hospital. And so as I shared food, as I shared friendship, as I offered prayer, I told the story of of Jesus Christ. I remember going home that evening lamenting. Lamenting this cruel and difficult disease. You see, if I would have never lamented... I would have never loved the people suffering from this terrible disease. As a spouse, if I failed to lament, whatever hurt, whatever pain my wife is experiencing, then I am probably failing to love her as I'm called to love her. What happens when we fail to lament? We fail to love. Second costly loss we experience when we fail to lament is that a failure to lament is to give up on the questions of justice. The church that forgets to lament risks becoming marginalized to the concerns of justice. It is our concern expressed in lament that moves us to recognize before God that things are not right in our world. A lament is the first step and a very important step at that in the quest for justice. Final question, what is the difference between lament and complaint? Are there any complainers among us? You might be a complainer. Your spouse might be a complainer. Your children might be complainers. Remember Israel? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Have you brought us out here to, in the desert so we could die? Who is on the receiving end of all these complaints? These were complaints directed not to God, but to Moses. And thus, Israel was sinning. A lament is a complaint, and here's the difference, before God. And that is a huge difference. Some of you, if I could be so bold to say it, need to practice the spiritual discipline of turning your complaints into laments. That is, rather than being a complainer, be a prayer. Be a lamenter who brings your complaints to God because God loves to hear those complaints. But I have to be honest, I've never been in any counseling situation yet with a couple where a spouse says, what I really love about my wife, what I really love about my husband, what attracts me to them so much is that they are a great complainer. And so if you are a great complainer, let me tell you the good news. You are just a short step away from being a great prayer. Amen. Bring your complaints 
before God. You will be changed. The people around you will be relieved. And God will be happy to have you in His presence. Finally, a complaint is different than a lament because of the very nature of the lament. Remember, a prayer of lament, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Remember Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, the time frame seems unbearable. How long will you hide your face from me? Your hiddenness seems unbearable. How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? My sorrow seems unbearable. Consider and answer me, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. My enemy seems unbearable. Life seems unbearable for the psalmist. Joy has escaped his grasp. Yet how does he conclude the psalm? Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing in verse 6 to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. That aspect of trust is different than in a pure complaint to others. Because you see, a lament trust because it again, it desperately wants and longs To praise God yet again. A lament is not simply an emotional outburst, though it may also be that. A lament is not simply an expression of self-pity. Where lament is shallow, praise will be shallow. And where lament is lacking, praise is often lacking. The DNA of lament is that it longs to resolve itself into praise into a solid trust in the faithful God of the covenant. How does that all work? Maybe even the psalmist doesn't know. There's something about being before God in your suffering. Let me put it like this. The one who prays, the psalmist who prays, who laments, places herself, places himself in a similar situation as a suffering sailor in the writings of Wolfgang Goethe, famous German writer. Wolfgang, if I can call him by his, this name, poetically states, And so, at last, the sailor lays firm hold upon the rock on which he had been dashed. Do you get the image? The image is of a sailor clinging with white knuckles Upon the rock which changed his life, changed his circumstance, dashed his ship and ruined his ship. That's the psalmist holding on to God in lament. Why am I holding on to this rock which just dashed my life to pieces? Why does Jesus cry out to God in the midst of God forsakenness? It makes no sense. Clinging to God in God forsakenness? But that's the paradoxical nature of lament. Holding on to God while lamenting His absence. Still somehow maintaining a dialogue in the midst of God's utter silence over your life. So pray. Try it for yourself. Lament before God and see 
Test God to see whether a greater trust and a more robust doxology of praise suddenly doesn't begin to bubble forth up in your soul. Let's pray. Father, we lament because we long for greater trust and richer praises. Transform us as we meant. We ask and we plead with you, O God. Amen.